found in Luke 15. Let's read verse 11, Luke 15, 11. I'm reading this morning from the New King James Version. And then he said, that's Jesus, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his livelihood and Jewish law and custom, a third had gone, a third of the possessions, a third of the estate, a third of stocks, bonds, and real estate and investments and monies went to the younger brother. He says, uh, and not many days after the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a far country. Would you say far country? And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, prodigal living. But when he had spent all, let me pause right there. Mm -hmm. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Would you look at this young man? who became an instant millionaire, blew all of his money, gets hungry, and now has to join a group of foreigners and is given the assignment of being in the field with pigs and hogs. Verse 16 says, and he would have gladly filled his stomachs with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, if you can't underline those words, when he came to himself, if you have a highlighter, highlight those words. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Here's what I'll do. Verse 18. I will arise. I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have missed the mark. Either I've fallen short, which is an iniquity, or I have committed a transgression, which means I've gone out of bounds. Either way it goes, I have missed the mark. Would you say this with me? I have sinned. Come on, say those words with me. I have sinned. Uh, I want to talk this morning from the title, A Father's Love. In fact, I'm going to change this title, A Father's Love for Times When We're Lost. A Father's Love for Times When We're Lost. That would be one time. A father's love, love for times when I'm lost, okay? Yeah, uh, for times when I'm lost. If there's ever been a time uh, to show love, that is unmerited, undeserved, unworked for, unconditional love like never before, now is the time. For the local church, it is always time. It's always time to show uh, unconditional love, a time to commit demonstrate love for those who are among us. In the book of St. Luke chapter 15, and uh, I mean, if, time about, if time allowed, we can look at all of the parables that Jesus shares in Luke 15. Now, I know I'm speaking to theologians and scholars, and, but at the same time, there are those who may not know the word at all. And I need you to know you are right in good place, you're good company, that we are all on this journey to learn the word of God. Now, that being said, Jesus often spoke in parables, parables, along, para, alongside, and story. He would often give short stories alongside to convey a truth. Oftentimes, the disciples would come and wonder, why do you... 
you know, they probably used to wear like rhyme. Why would you give these riddles or rhymes? They weren't riddles or rhymes, but he intentionally gave stories to illustrate powerful spiritual truths. But he did it in a way to where what those who were really hungry for the word would get what he was saying. And for those who kind of multitasked, played around, kind of took it and leave it, they'd walk out to church and not have a clue of what was being said. Now, you're going to be in one of those groups. Either you're going to get the truth of what Jesus wanted to convey, or you'll walk out today not really having any value of today's service. You're going to have to make up your mind, I'm going to get what God says to me on today. Now, that being said, Luke 15, young leaders, he talks about a lost coin. I wish I had time, but I don't. A shepherd finds, uh, uh, a shepherd goes out, and out of a hundred sheep, one gets missing and he finds him. Oh, he's happy. He's excited. Why? Because he's got his sheep back. Then Jesus gives another parable about a woman who loses a very valuable coin, right? She sweeps the house. She cleans the house. But the Bible says when she finds that coin, man, she goes absolutely crazy. And so now Jesus brings it home with this last parable in, John, in Luke 15. He says, you know what? If a, a, a shepherd can be excited about a sheep, one out of a hundred, so that's one hundredth of, of his of his of his possession and he's going crazy if the woman sweeps the house and finds a coin well you know it was a coin okay even if it was a hundred dollars fine but she's happy he brings it home and talks about a man who has two sons i'm still on the conversation two weeks ago we had in our leadership meeting about ministering to our children ministering to our families ministering to those who we love but having a hard time getting the message through. We're living in a very political climate hot world right now where people are not quite sure how to embrace transgenderism. Not sure how to embrace those who are confused in sexuality. People who are struggling with all type of issues and vices in life. But that comes up, it's a whole nother dimension when it comes to your home. So in this room right now, You've got a son, a daughter, you've got a nephew, a niece, you've got a cousin, maybe a sibling. And the world wants to cast them to the side, but you, Christian, can't afford to do that. Are you with me still? And so today I want to talk about the Father's love. Ultimately, our Heavenly Father's love for us, but we're going to look at it through this parable of what Jesus demonstrates through an earthly father who has two sons. It's going to be a surprise at the end of the message that hang in there, okay? And so this father has two sons. The younger is wayward, backslidden, going through a lot of tough times. And there are two very, very dominant themes of this parable in Luke 15. Number one, he deals with this wayward, wayward strong-willed, errant son. We call him the prodigal son. We know that word. We've heard it over the years, right? But then there's another theme of dad being patient. Dad being tolerant. Dad, the father, uh, we see him as being loving and forgiving. Uh, as we continue this series on this morning, I want to remind every one of you of two very elements of love and the local church. Number one, everyone needs a spiritual home in Christ. Do you hear me? Everyone needs, everyone needs a spiritual home in Christ. Your home, your spiritual home is in Christ, but your, 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 your growth as a family, that is, your, your, your spiritual house where you grow is in the local church. Your, your first place of abiding is always in Christ. If any man be in Christ. Come on, talk to me now. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? 
So the Bible reminds us in John chapter 15, verse 4, abide in me, live in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Make no mistake about it. Your greatest growth, your number one priority is to live in Jesus. Not a denomination, not a campus fellowship, not a small group, not a group of guys or a group of girls, or not just someone with them in the Bible. Your greatest connection, submission, covenant is in Christ, right? Number one. Number two, don't forget about the spiritual house. Why? Because I believe that God has his perfect will that you be in a spiritual family, okay? And that happens in the spiritual house. Remember Psalm 92, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and he shall grow like cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted, would you say that would be planted? Those who are planted where? In the house of the Lord, they shall succeed. They shall flourish in the course of the Lord. And so today, let me encourage every one of you because in the next 15 minutes, we're going to bring this to a close. And I want to make sure that, number one, you have, you, you, you have a, a, a complete understanding that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord and Savior. And you'll have that opportunity to receive him as your Lord. Maybe an opportunity to recommit, rededicate your life to the Lord. And then for those who say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I don't have a spiritual family. I don't have a church home. Well, we want you to have the opportunity to join a spiritual house and be in God's house. All right? Now, let's get back to the parable of Luke chapter 15. What do we see here? We see two sons. Let's talk about the younger one first, okay? Because right now in every family, there's a prodigal son. There's a prodigal daughter. Maybe there's a prodigal cousin or a niece. And maybe you don't have anybody, but there's a prodigal co-worker. Somebody somewhere is not where they need to be. In fact, what do we see with this young man? Well, hey, he wants to divide. He wants, he wants his inheritance early. He wants to go spend all of his livelihood. And the Bible says after he had spent all their rows of famine in the land, and he now begins to be in one. Two things we see from this prodigal son, and I won't be long today. Two things we see. Number one, the Bible says he came to himself. God has a way of bringing you back to yourself when your stomach is empty. When your best friend walks away. When you get a confusing report from the doctor. When it just seems like the walls are caving in. And, 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 and it seems like, my God, you are all by yourself. God has a way of helping you come to yourself. Bible reminds us in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short. Come on, say all have sinned. Not y'all have sinned. All. Come on and say, including me. Okay, I can get nobody in this middle section to say, but one person. Come on, including me. All have missed the mark, right? Some got caught, some didn't get caught. Some was public, some was private. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we see that, 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 that not only that, but the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I want you to read this one for yourself. Romans chapter 13. We're going to stay in the New Testament. But I want you to see this for yourself because we see this prodigal, this prodigal son. Uh, in other words, we see this backslidden. We don't use that word often, but it used to be a time in the church they would use the word backslidden because people backslid. They literally went backwards in their commitment and their walk with Christ. So he's backslidden. He's erred. He's wayward. Uh, what does Romans 13 and 12 say about this? For the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Yeah. 
We had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and we said, man, it's amazing how we want to identify certain sins that are politically sins, but what about sins in our own private lives? The ones that may not hit the media, the ones that may not hit the news, the ones that may not be obvious in front of everybody, but, but some things that we struggle with in our own world. The Bible says, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, and not in lust. Not in strife and not in envy. But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What does it say to us? Paul tells the church in Rome, your flesh will never be satisfied. Hello? Your flesh will never get enough. So the warning and the admonition is kill the snake by cutting the head off up front. Learn how to put on Christ so you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he comes to himself. He's out there now. He done spent everything. He done party. He done had his life. And now his pockets are empty and his stomach's empty. And he comes to himself. Number two, he arose and he went back home. We, we don't know the name of this man. It's a parable, yes, but I do believe that there's a whole lot of young men and young women who could identify what we had to understand. He went back home after he arose. Acts 17, I love this verse of scripture. It's found in Acts 17, 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands men everywhere to repent. God is not looking to forgive you of your excuses. God is not looking to sit down and reason or rationalize with your ailments and your issues. He basically wants you to have a change of mind by having a change of heart. The word repent simply means to have a change of heart, change of mind. It's not a 360 where you turn over 360 and go back in the same direction. No, repent is really a 180. You turn your back on a direction you were going and decide to go back in another direction, right? You're going back to a place where God has called you and I to be. And so the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but as long-suffering. Anybody thank God for God who is long-suffering? Hallelujah. Thank God for God who's patient and persevering, right? The Bible says he's not willing that any man would perish, but that all, again, here we go, stay with me, that all would come to repentance. I read a statement the other day that said simply this, people may not realize that forgiveness it's one of the hardest demonstrations of true love. When a man says, I'm sorry, now the onus is on to you to say, I forgive you. When a woman says, says I've blown it, I'm sorry, forgive me. Now the ball is in your court to say, I will walk in true love and forgive you. And so the son has two actions. He goes out there and blows it, and then he comes to himself and wants to get it right. So for the two actions of the son, we now see two actions from the dad. Let's, see what, let's, let's check in on dad for a moment. There are two actions of love the father demonstrates to this youngest son. Number one, he forgives the youngest son. I want to stop right there for a moment because I believe that usually when I get to the forgiveness area, it gets, it gets real slow and it gets real tense, right? Because there are a lot of us in the room, we've, the truth is we've just not completely forgiven in certain areas of our lives. And, and, and it's one of those areas of the sermon where people are like, Pastor, can you just kind of hear him get on over this so we can go on to the end of the message? No, not today. Because if we don't understand forgiveness, there are consequences for us. 
there are issues and things that are lingering. In fact, let me give you three reasons why you should forgive, three reasons why we, we should forgive one another. Number one, God forgave you. If they ain't reason number two, reason number three, I think that, that reason right there long enough by itself is enough for me. God forgave you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and the Bible says you must forgive one another, Colossians 3.13. Number two, uh, someone say, Pastor, give me number two. Uh, uh, that's, uh, can I get the other third of the people to say that? Come on, say, Pastor, give me number two. Okay, good. I, think, I thank you for asking because here's the third, here's the second reason why you should forgive. Bitterness and unforgiveness makes you feel miserable. Let's just call it what it is, all right? Bitterness and unforgiveness makes you feel miserable. Is that right? Mark eleven twenty five 25 says this, and, whatever you, and whenever you stand praying, if you have an ought against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. But if you do not forgive them, neither will your Father forgive you. How hypocritical and how duplicit. How messed up must we feel inside wanting God to forgive us for everything we do, but we can't forgive our sister. We can't forgive our brother. Well, I'm going to forgive you, but I ain't going to forget about it. Well, that's really not true forgiveness. Y'all still with me? Everybody okay so far? Number three, uh, you are going to need forgiveness in the future. It's like Kanye West said on one of his songs, forgive me for what I'm getting ready to do next. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's scripture or not, but the reality is if the Lord delay is coming, there is a good chance we are going to sin again. We are going to need, y'all ain't saying nothing to me right now. The reality is, you're going to need forgiveness. And see, here's the thing, faith coming by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And how do you feel, how do you truly have faith to believe that God's forgiven you and you still haven't forgiven somebody else? You're going to struggle with God's forgiveness in your own world because locked up in your heart, you truly haven't forgiven someone else. Let me, let me just remind you what Scripture says. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and 12, Blessed are the merciful, for they themselves should obtain mercy. Who am I not to show mercy to somebody else and all this mercy that I need? Am I right about that? Y'all make me feel like I'm preaching to myself today. Let me keep giving you the word of God. So the Bible goes on to say, let's stay in Matthew, Matthew 5 and 7, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. You say, Pastor Stephen, what's up with this forgiveness piece? Um, it's simple. Let me talk to you about how to forgive people. Number one, go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Why is that important? You truly can't forgive anybody without the Lord's help. You're going to need God to heal your heart. You need God to deal with your mind and your emotions and your psychology. In fact, here's what the Bible says, Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. And nobody in the church said amen, not even online because we don't believe in praying for our haters. <laughs> Can I help you all out with a, with a little bit? Let me talk to you about your haters real quick. I'm interested right now to know why are my haters so involved with watching my life? Can I remind every one of you all, haters will watch you more than anybody else. You might as well give them a show. Give them a show. Just like you gave me a show, give them a show. Not you. I'm just saying. All right. What I'm saying is give them. That was a, that was a sidebar talk, but it, it didn't come out the right way as I wanted it to. 
She asked me twice in the last few days, did I give you a show of what? I said, yes, you did. Okay, but that's not, not but you're not a hater though. But the real, <laughs> yeah, you write down, I see. Okay, so the point I'm making to all of you all is this. Your haters are gonna watch you closer than anybody else. You might as well give them something to watch. Okay, pray for them. Love them. And if an opportunity comes up, do something good for them. And I know that hurts. And I know that's a tough one. I've had to do that on many occasions. I have. I've had to be a blessing to people that I know carried the dagger. And I knew the word would bless me if I was obedient. And I'm talking years and years ago. But when you run up on people and people run up on you, I'm not going to avoid you, you avoid me. I'm still going to smile and love on you and say, God bless you and get to see you. I'll be like Joe Osteen and say, God bless you. It's so good to see you today. But the reality is, learn how to pray for people that you know don't like you. God has a way of using that to bring healing, not to them, to you. All right, I got to keep moving. All right, number two, how do I, how do I forgive people the biblical way? Go to the one who's hurt you. And that's what we don't do well. You know what we do? We go to everybody else. And we gossip. And we complain. And we murmur. Y'all still with me? <sighs> go to the one. I see you thinking now. Who did the hurt? I mean, I, come on, talk. As a therapist, you know that a lot of times the question is, have you even told the person who offended you? Think about it. We have a tendency to, 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 to tell everybody else how I'm feeling and what they did. I like to know kind of at the beginning of the, of, the, of, the, of the pastoral counseling session, have you even told them that they hurt you? Well, no, not really. I just feel it. Well, first of all, let's do what the Bible say do. Let's go back. Okay, real quick. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Listen closely. Verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Let me stop right there. How many people have had someone sin against you? I just want to make sure I'm talking to the right people. Because you kind of make me feel like I'm talking to foreigners and strangers today. How many people have had somebody offend you? You've been offended. You've been sinned against. You've been done wrong. Okay, you've been done wrong. Everybody okay? All right. Here's what the Bible says. If your brother has done wrong to you right? Go to him and let that fault be between you and him alone. I'm trying to help somebody out right now because you're not going to get right on the inside until you do it the Bible way. It didn't say go with a committee. It didn't say blast him on Facebook. It didn't say throw no shade and show no shadows and throw in your windows. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, go to him. You're going to have to, I know it hurts, it's tough, and it's going to be a journey. But you got to say, hey, bro, we need to sit down and talk, just me and you one-on-one. -on -one. Here's what you did, and here's how I feel. <sighs> All right. <sighs> I was wondering, should I make this a couple's marriage conversation? And I was going to, I said, if everybody say amen, I'll do it. If don't nobody say amen, that lets me know. Don't go with it, Pastor. Please don't go there. All right. Uh, spouses, you're going to have to go to that spouse and say, Here's what you said, or here's what you did, and here's how I feel. And the response can't be, well, I'm sorry uh, you feel this way. I'm sorry you took it that way. No, 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 that's not apology. Apology says, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm taking responsibility for what I said, what I did, and how it affected you. Because sometimes we have a tendency to apologize for the other person's weakness or perceived weakness. And I'm sorry you took it that way. You can't get over it. I'm sorry that you should be stronger and you should have uh, prayed about it. No, no, no. That's not apology. Apology is, I'm sorry for what I've done. 
and how it has made you feel. Let's go, let's keep reading, let's keep reading. So, uh, uh, I, I can hear you asking the question, but what if they don't hear you? Well, just keep reading the Bible, then you'll find out. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, now you take a witness with you. Take one, right, or two more. By, why? Because in the Old Testament, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be. In other words, we need to fact check what really happened. Bring somebody as a witness so they don't say that you're conspiring against them and you're making all this stuff up. No, I took someone with me. I went to a counselor. I went to a therapist. I sat down. I got a mediator. We sat down and we wanted to deal with this. Okay? Now, and if he refuses to hear them, bring it before the whole church. Now blast them on Facebook. Now I'm just joking. No, that's not. Don't do that. No, that's not the time to do that. But the reality is in church discipline in the New Testament, they had it such a way to where the apostles, they ran the church because of standard. And there was such a holiness and a fear. The Bible says no man does dare join them. Why? Because it was such a high standard. Now you can call them out before the church and no one could care less. But here's the biblical way to seek forgiveness. Because here's something we don't like to read, but it's, it's in the Bible. And if the church doesn't do the work, bringing them before multiple of counsel and multi-layered of, of accountability, cut them off. Cut them off. That's the Bible. It's a tough one to swallow. But we have, listen, we have cheapened and discounted and reduced and put on a fire sale and a blue light special and whittled down the value of the church to where it's worth almost nothing. So anybody can do whatever they want to do, how they want to do, when they want to do it, ain't nobody got nothing to say about it. And I wish you would say something, because I'm the gift to this church. And I'm not throwing off one of my friends here, but you're talking about being a, a mosaic mess. We as a church can have so many multiple problems. And we're just all here shouting and hollering and speaking in tongues. No more, no more honor and, 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 and pageantry and, and vigor. No more standard. Used to be a time it was an honor to be part of a church. You were somebody as a deacon, as an usher, but particularly in the black church, we were somebody. In the Old Testament, excuse me, in the New Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira decided to, to lie about their giving and lie about their sacrifice, they died. They died. And there was such a holy fear in the room, nobody else dared roll the dice. And God worked with signs and wonders and miracles, and there was revival and breakthrough. Now, it's no big deal. No big deal. All right, I spent too much time on that note. But number one, he forgave the younger son. I close with this last point. He restores the younger son. Can I have the last five minutes to talk about restoration? The Bible says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still afar off, his father saw him and had compassion. Come on, say compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Mm. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, bring the ring, and bring the sandals bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I want to talk just for the next few moments of what we see here happening. The son rises up and he goes home. 
Dad doesn't judge him, doesn't criticize him, doesn't, doesn't want to spar with him and prove to him how big and bad he is. He, but he does the opposite. He runs to the son. He kills the spirit of shame and embarrassment. Because as men, dads know how young men can get swole up with pride and ego and embarrassment. And ain't no need to compound the issue because you want to flex his dad. But this dad takes the low road. And he realizes, you know what? I will overthrow the shame and the darkness on my son. Number two, I will overshadow the sins of his past with now mercy and grace for the now. Number three, I will overtake my son with love, with compassion and forgiveness. Oh my God, what, how do we speak to a generation of young black men who have no daddy to show compassion? How are they expecting to know a compassion from a God and a father that they cannot see because they, no see, they don't see compassion from a dad that they could see? That's why everything hinges on fatherhood. Everything hinges on that. And it's not easy. Oh, God, the mistakes we make, the moments we miss, the errors. And, the, and you, you want to be a perfect father. You want to be a perfect dad. Oh, the heartbreak of when you're not. Because you know right now this might be the only opportunity for that son to know Jesus. But the Bible says, the father kissed the son. Elder Rowe, that's a message. You remember that day I saw you at the corner of Jatown Road, and we were in the parking lot of a bank. 10 years, 12 years ago maybe, something like that, you were taking time to minister to your son, who's an who's a orthopedic surgeon. And I was driving, pulled into the parking lot, and you were giving him a Bible, if I recall. And you were just loving on him. You don't know how much that impacted me years ago. Didn't know a lot about the Roe family. All I know is that his dad, loving on son, giving him a Bible in the parking lot of a bank. And it wasn't scripted, it wasn't, wasn't rehearsed. I just happened to run into you. And here we are years and years later. And now I see the challenges of being dad, the challenges of being a father. And I think we need more men like Elder Rowe and more men who say, listen, I don't care how old I get, I don't care how old, and I don't even care how successful you get. You still need the love of dad and the heart of a father. So he ran and kissed him. I like to call it a kiss of affirmation, a kiss of affection and a kiss of assurance. But it didn't stop with the kiss because we see these things happening and I'm almost, almost finished. Number one, he gives him a robe. What's important, and oh, this would have been a good place, teachers, to have my illustration going this morning. This would have been a good place to have my illustration going. <laughs> but he gave him a role because the first and original role was for a prince or reserved for a great man. Yeah, the son had tripped out. Yeah, the son's in shame. Yeah, the son screwed up. But dad said, put the robe on that a prince or a great man would wear because I'm speaking those things that are not as though they were. Number two, he gives him a signet ring. Come on, say a signet ring. The signet ring signifies true sonship and a constant reminder of the father's kindness and compassion. When he puts that ring on that boy's finger, can you imagine? He probably still has mud in the fingernails. He's probably still got the dirt, the grime, and the grit, and the mess of being with pigs. But dad puts that ring on his finger because it shows true covenant 
and bloodline. Number three, he gives him sandals, distinguishing from the hired servants or the slaves that he may have been around observing that you're, you are my son. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're not an employee, but you are my own. Number four, he gives him the fatted calf. You talking about a barbecue that night? You talking about, you, let me tell you something. You had, not only did you have ribs, but you had brisket. You had, you had filet mignon. Uh-huh. You had mesquite wood smoked. They had a party. They celebrated. And they had the best night of their lives. Why? Because my son, who was lost, is a son who comes home. And you know, that'd be a great place, Brother Mark, to start playing the music, but don't play just yet. Don't play just yet. That'd be a great place, my brothers, who still ain't got that deal me yet, I notice. It'd be a great place to end the message. But the biggest message wasn't for that son who came home. It was for the older brother who was sitting in the cut. Because don't forget, you still got an older brother in the cut. Kind of like, uh-huh. Now this, I mean, this young man have gone out there, spent all that money. I stayed home while he went out. When he wanted to go out there and live his life and do his thing, I, dad, stayed with you. I'm the one guarded the house. I'm the one who made sure this and that. Notice, he didn't even call him brother. He said, this son of yours. In other words, there's a detachment, and we're no longer feeling connected. So who are you, dad, to do all this when I'm the older brother, and I'm the one who deserves the inheritance? But what did dad say to the, older, the uh, oldest brother? He said, son, let me tell you something, three things you need to know. Number one, everything that I have already belongs to you. You have no need for insecurity. You have no need for feeling impatient. You have no need to feel some type of get in your feelings. So get out of your feelings, get your life together, and let's celebrate your youngest brother coming home, right? Uh, he said, all that I have is yours. Number two, he said, you are always will be with me. So there ought not be any tripping on whose placement in order of first son or second son. Number three, we must celebrate the return of your brother, my son. Here's the beautiful part of that. You know, as much as we want to focus on the prodigal son, the reality is it was the older brother that had the problems. And oftentimes, and oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble when I say this, but uh, hang in there with me. The church is often the older brother. The church often dictates the older brother. What do you mean by that? Well, when somebody who has backslid and decides to get their life right and come back to the church, you got some praise team members, not you all, of course. I'm talking about other praise team. Who she thinks she is? Where was she when we had to go to that grind and all that rehearsals? And, you know, who, why is the church reaching out to them? And why are they letting them come back and sit on the front row or the back row? Why they get to usher again? Why was they, when was they, they got to go back to new member class. They got to get baptized again. We need to make sure they're speaking in tongues. We got to do that. See, the older brother will always have this, this religious order and this unforgiveness and this sternness about them because I call that self-righteousness. It's really what it is. It's holy self-righteousness that says, I ain't going nowhere. Why are you so compassionate and loving to one who has sinned and now wants to come home? Because dad is wise and dad realizes that the message really wasn't for the young man. Church, the message is for you. There is a generation, there's a generation of prodigal sons and daughters that's coming back to church. And I need to make sure that you, as the older brother, don't stand there with your lip poked out, all swole up trying to figure out where was y'all when we went through the chapter 11. 
wherever you are when we had to wait on the bond, wherever you are when we had to come and give and paint and work and go through the embarrassment and the shame. And you know what? God makes no mistakes in his movement. God makes no mistake in how he positions. He puts one up today and one down today. But if you wait on the Lord, I remember a day in time when God will make the first the last and the last shall be the first. It is to our responsibility as men and women of God to lovingly embrace, get the fatty calf, get the ring, get the sandals, and get the robe because God is bringing a generation of men and women back to his house and it is up to us to love them unconditionally unmerited with undeserving love and grace and so while we stand to our feet this morning we look at the young son who comes home we look at the dad who shows that love but we look at the church as the older brother who says there's still room at the table? This is still your house. You talking about homelessness? What about spiritual homelessness? Houselessness. Man, can you imagine? Listen, my heart breaks for people who don't have nowhere to go. That boy, as bad as it was, he always knew I can come back home. Can you just for one minute think with me? of how hopeless it must be for somebody not to have a home to go to, not to have a family. I don't want to know what it's like to be a, a sojourner, a pilgrimer, just wandering aimlessly. Wherever my head lays that night is where I'm going to be. I can't imagine the hopelessness of not having the Lord as my father and the church as my family. The story is really about two men, but it was a third man who we focus on, and that is the church. That older brother who God showed a message and said, son, you were always I have. But when someone who's been gone comes back, all of heaven rejoices. I want to encourage every parent in this room to not give up. I don't care how it looks. I don't care the, the, the agenda and the emotions and the, the, the influence of the world. Never, 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 never never give up because you right now my brothers and sisters you are the Christ the hope of glory is in you and if you give up it will look as if he gave up but if you show love unconditional unmerited unworthy they see that love and as the older brothers in the room God ain't forgotten about you. The Bible makes it very clear. I am not forgetful of your labors of love that you've shown to the church. God's going to bless you. He's going to reward you for staying and standing. Don't make no mistake about it. But in this chapter, it was all about that boy who came home. For those who might be that young son, 
We're not here to judge. We're not here to criticize. We're not here to get all in your business and ask a whole bunch of questions. We just simply want to say, Jesus loves you with an outstanding, everlasting love. And you need to know right now in this room that your sins are forgiven. He's not interested in your sins. The only thing he wants to do is wash them and cleanse you and put them into the sea of forgetfulness. And listen, if, if you don't bring them up, he ain't bringing them up. It's just that simple. He loves you with an everlasting love. And there's nothing you've done, nothing you can do that can separate his love from you. What shall we say to these things? Height, depth, life, death, any creature, principality, powers, anything past, present to come, nothing, Romans chapter 8, shall separate us from the love of Jesus.